0: We'll be in Numbers chapter 12 today. Numbers chapter 12. Can be turning there. One of the things that sets the Bible apart from all other books, not just other books written, but all other books connected to religious groups is that the Bible is at the same time divine and completely human. It's not like other books that people try to put together. Books that are contrived. Books that that people want to make come across as holy. There are things in the Bible that, gang, if I was God, would not be in the Bible. Embarrassing things. Things that my leaders do. Things that, that my followers do that are so messed up. I would just think, keep it out. Like this microphone. (laughs) Keep all the stuff out of Scripture that could possibly embarrass or possibly make things not seem quite so holy. You read about things like we're going to read this morning and you wonder, Lord, do you really want to present these people in this light? Father, it might undermine all that you've done through them. These are supposed to be the top-notch leaders of Israel who we're going to look at this morning. And yet their behavior is so absolutely juvenile, so incredibly human, that it makes me wonder why it's in there. But you know, it makes the Bible all the more real. Because God is not always concerned with how things look. He's concerned with the truth. What really happened? What really went on? And so in Scripture we see these stories of, of mammoth failures on the part of great leaders. We recognize how human they truly are, and at the same time we see even more so how vast the grace and the love of God is for us. Numbers chapter 12, beginning in verse 1, it says, Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses. Because of the Cushite woman whom he had married... For he had married a Cushite woman. And they said, Has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. Let's pray. God, we come before you this morning to seek your word and your will for our lives. Father, we recognize that we are approaching in Scripture today. I recognize, i studied it. I know we're looking at something that is so basic to our human makeup and to our sin nature. that, Father, it, uh, it will affect or should affect us all. I pray, Father, you give us ears to hear. And that Holy Spirit, you would teach us that we might learn of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now I know there's a buzz in the speakers. I understand that. I just want to remind you, thank the Lord you can hear me this morning and thank the Lord we have a roof over our heads. And thank the Lord that the buzz went away. (laughs) I've said this before, I probably ought to just say it again. It's funny to me how quickly we forget the blessings of God. And how quickly we are irritated by little things. Isn't that amazing? How long have we even been in this barn? And the silly little things that happen. Oh, the sound was too loud. Oh, this wasn't right. Oh, this wasn't right. This was a little uncomfortable. It was too warm. It was too cold. All that stuff. I've got to remind you, gang. All of that is stuff that Satan would use to distract us from the truth, which is Jesus Christ. So let's relax into this. And if the buzz comes back on, Tom will work on it. And if it doesn't, great. But let's see what the Lord has for us. (laughs) This morning. Numbers chapter 12, again, verses 1 and 2. Miriam and Aaron. Miriam the prophetess, Aaron the high priest, spoke against Moses. Yes, they did. Talking behind his back, undermining, speaking against him. Because of the Cushite woman whom he married... Great married a Cushite woman. And they said, "Is the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? And the Lord heard it. And Miriam and Aaron have a problem. A big problem. Something, like I said, that is indigenous to the human nature. We all deal with this. We all have dealt with this. And unfortunately, we will probably all deal with it again. It's an insidious little thing that functions like Cancer. It eats away at us. It makes the good cells in our bodies to devour each other. It's a sin condition. And it asks this simple question Why is he and not me? Why is she instead of me? Why are they and not us? It's not fair. The Hebrew word for this problem is kana, the English word is envy. Envy. We're not talking about jealousy here. Miriam and Aaron are not just jealous of Moses. Jealousy is more of a concern of losing something I already have. You know, you're in a relationship and guys, especially young teenage guys, maybe dating a girl and all of a sudden some other guy starts hitting on her and you're jealous. Because you don't want to lose what you already have. That's not envy. Envy is coveting not what someone else has, but who someone else is. Their position. Their gifts, their talents, even their place in the world. Why is it him and not me? Why does he get to be in this place instead of me? Uh, hasn't God spoken through us as well? did not this talk through Moses? Why is he the big cheese? Just had to say cheese for Nicolás. You know, last week when I was speaking and I said, you know, talking about getting a kid in off the street, and I, and I said, you know, you entice him with some cheese? Nicola thought that was hysterical. We went out to lunch afterwards. I didn't know he was in the restaurant. He was across the restaurant where I couldn't see him, and all of a sudden the waitress comes up with a plate down in front of me and there's a little square of cheese on it. I ate it. I don't know why I said cheese, by the way. Sometimes you just say things. It was out there before I could get it back. I wanted to say candy, but cheese came out. I don't know why thing is cheese flavored candy anyway (laughs) why him and not me this whole concept of envy truly is a problem and gang there's no one who's not touched by it there's nobody in here this morning who has not dealt with or felt envy looked at someone else and said I could do it better why is it him why is she in that place And gang, envy is the offspring of covetousness. I I believe this is why, by the way, that the 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet. Exodus 20, 17. You shall not covet. Covetousness is just about wanting the things of another person, but it breeds envy, which is about wanting to be in the place of another person. God knows this. And God says, don't even go there. You stay way back from envy. Don't even covet. Much less go to that place of envy. And isn't it interesting, and think about this, you all know this, envy wields its greatest and most dangerous power in families. That's where it's the most painful. You've got to know someone before you can envy them. You have to have some sense of who they are before you can start looking at them and saying, Man, I want what they have. Why is it them? And so the primary place that envy attacks is in families. It did in the very first family. It was the motivation behind the murder of Abel by Cain. The Bible starts off with this horrible story of a brother killing his brother. And it was all about envy. Or Esau envying Jacob, his place in the family. Or Saul envying David. And it goes on and on. A dispute even arose among the apostles as to who was the greatest among them. Who was in that place of greatness? James and John, close friends of Jesus, thought it was them. The rest of the apostles, oh, they got in a big argument about that one. And it was all driven by envy. It happens in every family. And it happens often most dangerously in church families. It goes on in places like this. Oh, not in the church, Rick. I thought I found the perfect church. We've said this before. If you think you find the perfect church, don't go there. You're going to mess it up. (laughs) Envy. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 5, he says in verse 14, the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, unless they have more than you have. (laughs) Unless they're doing something you really wish you could do. He says, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. You're biting, you're devouring. It happens so often in church groups and families because people are closer there. They know something about each other. And they begin to wonder why is this person now in charge of this ministry? That was my ministry. I just was gone for a month and I come back, someone else is doing it. That's not fair. It's not fair. Why is she in that? But why did they get to go to the pastor's house last night? I know that's where y'all want to be. <laughs> Why them and not me? It's all envy. And gang, that is the basis. That's our entire story this morning. All of Numbers chapter 12 is a big story of envy on the part of Miriam and Aaron, its sibling rivalry. Let's see how this story unfolds. Go back again. Verse 1. Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married. For he had married a Cushite woman. Interesting, Miriam, this prophetess, leads Aaron into this sin. They're both high players, big players, in the tribe of Israel, or in the people of Israel, but it's not enough. And so Miriam is the ringleader. And you go, okay, Rick, once again, you're going after the women and you're pointing it to the women's fault. Let me explain why I think that it was Miriam who led this, this charge, who was the one who began all the envious behavior. Number one, I think it was Miriam because Aaron is obviously a man easily led. You ever wonder why when Moses was, was really kicking against the Lord and saying, I don't want to go, don't send me, don't make me do this, why the Lord didn't just go, fine, Moses, I'll send Aaron? I think it's because Aaron would have messed it up royally. He's a great high priest, but he's not a great leader. He certainly didn't lead very well at Mount Sinai, did he? Moses is up the mountain, what, 40 days, and when he comes back down, there's a the golden calf. Aaron, what are you doing? I don't know. I just threw the gold into the fire, and out came this calf. I, the people made me do it, which is not something a good leader says. The people made me do it. I had to do it because that's what the people wanted. Poor leadership, Aaron. He's very easily led. The other thing here is if you look at verse 1. Miriam's name is listed first, which is uncharacteristic in Scripture. Typically, the man's name will come first and, and then the woman's, but Miriam's name is first. It signifies something. It indicates seniority in the situation. But if you still aren't sure why, or if you still don't believe that Miriam is the one who's leading this envious charge, listen, the word spoke. Spoke in the Hebrew is written in the feminine form which connects it to the woman. You could almost translate it Miriam spoke to Aaron against Moses. But whichever way you look at it these two the older brothers and sisters remember by the way Moses is the younger of the family. He's the younger brother, and Aaron and Miriam now are together, and they're beginning to be, 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 be back and forth together. My mother's here. My mother's there. How come he's that's not there? God speaks to me too. Why speaks to me? I know. Just... And off they go. <laughs> they're, hey, they're But you know, the problem that often accompanies envy is gossip. You envy someone, you want what they want, the position they're in, and so you begin to find little kinks in their armor, things that are wrong with them, and immediately take that to your closest confidant. Well, you know, what's going on over there? Have you heard about this? Have you seen what's going on? I just don't think that's right. I think we ought to pray for him. The problem with Miriam is she didn't take the concern to Moses, she spoke against Moses. And that's where envy takes us, gang. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 15, if your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you've won your brother. And you realize how many church splits and divisions and fights, how many little bitty things that go on churches would not happen if we just followed Jesus' advice. You've got a problem You go to the person That you have a problem with And talk to them What's absolutely amazing Is how often it stops Right there It's dealt with It's over Done But instead we think Oh no I can't I can't take this I don't want to hurt Their feelings So I'm going to go talk To about 12 other people <laughs> And we'll see how that goes <laughs> I'd rather vent To someone else Get together And pray for them Share my concerns But gossipy commiseration gang is not the way of Jesus. It never has been. Now you might say, well Rick, what if the concern is truly legitimate? What if you see someone doing something and you know they're headed down a path of saying you know it's wrong? Guess what? It doesn't matter. It still doesn't justify gossip. It doesn't justify envy. They may have had a case here, by the way, Miriam and Aaron, they may have had a case to speak at least to Moses about this situation. He's married a Cushite woman, not an Israelite. You might ask the question, well, what happened to Zipporah? Zipporah, his his first wife. Where was she? Well, the last time we see Zipporah, it's back in the book of Exodus, and her father brings Zipporah to Moses at Mount Sinai. Suddenly there's no more Zipporah. You won't hear of her another time in Scripture. It's likely at this point that she died. Remember, things were a little harsh back then. So it's likely that she passed away. She wasn't in the picture anymore. For whatever reason, and the Bible doesn't tell us, which I think indicates something, the Bible doesn't tell us what is going on there. Why? Because it's none of our business. It's not important that we know. So we don't know why Moses is marrying this Cushite woman, but it could be a concern. Hey, here's the leader of all Israel. This is the man who is supposed to take them into the promised land. He won't. That will come later in the book of Numbers. But he's supposed to be their great leader. And he's marrying outside of the faith. He's marrying outside of the group. That's a legitimate concern. It's reason for Miriam or Aaron to go up to Moses and say, Do you think this is a good idea? to marry this, this outsider this Cushite should, should you be doing this but the bottom line gang is God doesn't address that he doesn't deal with it it's not the issue the issue of this story being in the Bible is envy how do we know listen to what Miriam and Aaron say to each other has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses has he not spoken through us as well not a word about the Cushite woman there Suddenly not concerned about the Cushite woman and the marriage. Now they're concerned about who's getting spoken to. Don't we have some authority here? Shouldn't we be able to lead these people? If Moses isn't going to do it, he's off doing his own thing with his Cushite. It's not really fair. It's not fair. It's not fair. What about us? Do you ever find yourself in that place? it's just not fair. Why is it always him? Why is she picked? Why is that person in that? I wanted to be there. That was the position I was shooting for. Why not me? It's interesting that envy is often cloaked with valid concerns. But what it really is, these valid concerns are just smoke screens for what's going on underneath, for the real motivation, the motivation of the heart. And you might be truly concerned for a person. And even if you take that concern to the person, I would advise you to check your heart because sometimes our constructive criticism is just a way to tear somebody down. I just think you need to be aware of this, Rick. The fact that you don't wear belts on Sunday morning is making me a little uncomfortable. I think you should watch that. Or sarcastic humor. That's another way. We just rip into people, isn't it? Find someone I'm envious of. And every time I'm around them, all I do is rip on them. (laughs) We're just sitting around, we're just having a good time. But they walk away feeling kind of hurt. That's what envy does. Gang, constructive criticism, sarcastic humor. All this stuff, is just a smoke screen for what's really going on underneath. James chapter 4 verse 1, James says, What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is it not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members? You lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. And you might say, oh, I'm out. verse doesn't apply to me. I've never committed murder. No, but I imagine most of us have committed verbal homicide. <laughs> James says you're envious and you cannot obtain so you fight and you quarrel and we say hey I'm not a fighter I'm a lover like Michael Jackson you know well hopefully not like Michael Jackson we, fight, we commit emotional assault, and we undermine and tear into people, and it's all because of envy. And James says, you, ask, you do not have because you don't ask, but you ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. And again, we see that God is concerned with the heart. Not the behavior, the heart. What is driving our behavior? It doesn't matter how good the behavior is. What's going on in the heart? What's behind it? What's driving it? Notice how verse 2 ends. And the Lord heard it. Oops. He was listening. You cannot pull the wool over God's eyes. Verse 3, I love this. Now the man Moses was very humble. More than any man who was on the face of the earth. How do we know Moses was so humble? Because he told us he was. He wrote he's the author of this book and he says now the man Moses was very humble more than any man who was on the face of the earth and this again points to me the proof of the truth of scripture because if you were truly the most humble person on the face of the earth you would not write that so why is it there? are you saying that Moses wasn't humble? no actually quite the opposite I think he was I don't think he wanted to write that I can just hear the conversation. Okay, write this down, Moses. Uh, you know, as, Moses, as the Lord indeed spoken through Moses, has He not spoken to us also? And the Lord heard it, and Moses said, I want you to write down how the man Moses was very humble. Wait a minute, Lord. What? Yeah, write that down, Moses. Excuse me? Yeah, you're the most humble man on the face of the earth. I'm not writing that down, Lord. Moses, you're writing it down. Okay, Lord, I'm writing it down. I think Moses was. You know what's interesting? There are only two men in the entire Bible who are called humble. Moses and Jesus Only two And I know that Moses was humble Because of how he acts and reacts in this story We'll get to that in a bit But this humble man This amazingly humble man Listen, a side note on Moses Was unlike any other person who ever lived Except Jesus In fact, there are so many reasons why Moses was a picture A portrait ahead of time of Jesus He, he showed us a, a symbol of Jesus Oh, he wasn't Jesus He certainly was filled with Jesus' spirit... But Moses, this man, was so much like Jesus, he had a relationship with God unlike any other. Deuteronomy 34, verse 10 tells us that no prophet has arisen in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. For all the signs and wonders which the Lord sent him to perform in the land of Egypt against Pharaoh, all his servants in all his land. And for all the mighty power and for all the great terror which Moses performed in the sight of Israel, this man was in a class by himself and it did not go to his head. Later on in the book of Numbers, Moses is going to sin, but it's not the sin of pride, okay? He is an incredibly humble man, a great man, a type of Jesus himself. Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18. God says, I will raise up a prophet from among their countrymen like you, Moses, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command. Him, he's speaking of Jesus. Two men, Moses and Jesus, both humble But this is a problem for Moses. Often it is a problem for a humble person because Jesus declared in Matthew 13.57 A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household which is why envy tends to be such a problem. In the household, in the family. So So Miriam and Aaron are going after their little brother we are trying to take him down until Father steps in to honor his prophet and deal with this dysfunctional family crisis. Look at verse 4. This is great. Suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three, come out to the tent of meeting. So the three of them came out and I've done it with my kids. All right, all three of you, downstairs on the couch right now we're having a conversation. And that's what God's doing. I don't want the rest of Israel there. By the way, once again, it is not their business. It's not their business. There will be things going on here, folks, that you'll see kind of from the side and you go, well, something's strange there. And people will come up right up, and I can't even tell you how many times this happens. Someone will come up to me and go, hey, what's going on? I gotta know. And that's the motivation. Why do you have to know? Well, because I don't want anything hidden in my church. Okay, great. There are going to be things hidden, there are going to be things that are not shared, there are going to be things going on. Why? Because it's none of your business. I love you, but it's none of your business. It's the person's business who it affects. Or if you'd rather, what we could do Is we could have everybody fill out Kind of a a survey of every bad thing in your life And we'll just flash it all up here every Sunday morning That way everybody knows everything And no one has to worry about it I think you'd agree it's best that we not know everything About what's going on with each other So God calls these, these three out Deals with this family Deals only with those who need to be dealt with Doesn't deal with them in front of all of Israel pulls them aside into the tent of meeting. And verse 5 tells us, Then the Lord came down in a pillar of cloud and stood at the doorway of the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam. And when they had both come forward, now Moses has stepped back a bit. He said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I the Lord shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream. Not so with my servant Moses. I love how he calls him my servant Moses. Moses has stepped back. He knows he's been railed on. And he's got to be just kind of, you know, shuffling his feet back there. And, and he hears this. And God is standing for Moses. This is my servant you're messing with. He goes on and he says, He's faithful in all my household. And when I speak with him, I speak mouth to mouth, even openly, not in dark sayings. And he beholds the form, or the word their manifestation of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant, against Moses? In other words, Miriam, Aaron, how dare you? Do you have any idea who you're dealing with here? Yes, he's your little brother, but he is my servant. I picked him out. I raised him up. He is my man, and you're messing with him. Stop it. Don't mess with my man. Why does God get so fired up? It's just a little... You know, bantering back and forth, Miriam and Aaron. They're they're not talking to everybody else, they're just kind of whining to each other. Why does God step in and devote an entire chapter of the Bible to this situation? If you want to jot a few things down, number one, envy affects God personally. Don't you think that your envy, your you know, frustration with another person is just about you and them? Your envy, my envy affects God personally. Verse 9 tells us the anger of the Lord burned against them, and he departed. Again, as a father, I relate. The anger of Rick has burned against his children to the point where I just say, i got to leave the room. I will be back to deal with you little morons later. <laughs> don't call them morons to their face. <laughs> I don't call you morons, Corey, okay? We're good. I have to go home. He's in the same house today, so it's got to be nice. My envying affects God personally. Did you know that your actions, your behavior can hurt the Lord? That what you do and say and how you act actually can have an emotional impact on God. That He truly is affected by how we treat each other. By what we say to each other. By how we act around each other. Paul writes in Ephesians 4.30 Don't grieve the Holy Spirit The reason he writes Don't grieve the Holy Spirit Is because you can grieve the Holy Spirit If we couldn't grieve God It wouldn't be necessary to say anything about that They say don't bug each other But no Don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God By whom you were sealed For the day of redemption And envy gang Is a grievous behavior Because it affects the Lord It isn't just about us it's not just about me in my own little secret life. It hurts God. But why would it do that? I mean, what's the big deal? Why would God be concerned if I'm envious of another person? Gang, because when I envy, I call into question the wisdom and the design of God. I question where He has placed me. I question what His plan for my life is. Jesus would say it this way. Actually, Isaiah says, Woe to the one who quarrels with His Maker... An earthenware vessel among the vessels of earth? Will the clay say to the potter, What are you doing? Isaiah says, This is how ridiculous this is. That I want to be over there. God, I know you have me here, but this isn't where I want to be. And I know better than you do, and I want to be over there. And God goes, Did I not create you? Aren't I the potter? Last time I checked, you were the clay, not me and I look at other people and I want to be where they are and God says but that's not where I have placed you Jesus put it this way he he said Matthew 20.15 is it not lawful for me to do what I wish with what is my own or is your eye envious because I am generous I've got this great situation in their life God's obviously blessed them why doesn't he bless me like that And God says, hey, I I can do what I want with those whom I have created, which is each and every one of us. If you want to kindle God's anger, if you want to hurt the heart of God, if you want to bug Him, if you want to grieve Him, envy each other. That's the way to do it. And it grieves Him. It grieves Him. But envy not only affects God personally, it affects us internally. Verse 10, reading on. Verse 10 tells us, but when the cloud had withdrawn from over the tent, behold, Miriam was leprous, as white as snow. Aaron wasn't, just Miriam. God's picking on the women again. No, no, she was the ringleader. Besides the fact, if. Suddenly the high priest was leprous. Who was going to be the go-between for the people of God? There's a greater issue here. It didn't just involve these three people. It would have implications that affected everyone. I'm getting ahead of myself. It tells us again, reading on in verse verse 10, that Aaron turned toward Miriam. Behold, she was leprous. Verse 11, Then Aaron said to Moses, Oh, my Lord, I beg you, do not account this sin to us in which we have acted foolishly and in which we have sinned. Oh, do not let her be like one of the dead whose flesh is half eaten away when he comes from his mother's womb. Miriam was green with envy. Now she's white as snow. (laughs) Leprous snow. It's a perfect punishment, gang. Because the picture the Lord paints here is one of bitterness and envy on the inside that explodes to the outside with leprosy. He gives a graphic depiction of what's going on here, that envy in the heart will affect us externally on the outside. And James says in James 3.16, where envying and strife is, there is confusion. That word confusion is interesting. It literally means disorderly insurrection, which is what leprosy is. Disorderly insurrection. Things out of control is what cancer is. Cells that should be working together, functioning with each other, now eating each other alive, destroying life. That's envy. And it affects us internally. It causes this kind of cancerous, leprous, internal insurrection that always erupts externally if it's not dealt with. And so the Lord gives Miriam this graphic picture of what her envy really looks like. And He gives us the same picture as well. Let me ask you, is there something about another person here at the British Christian Fellowship that's eating you up inside? Is there someone for whom when you walk into the room you just find yourself sore at them every time you see them? You find yourself doing what else envy does to us, drawing back, pulling away, isolating yourself from relationship. You see, that's what happens also with envy. Because of Miriam's envy, she's not only leprous, she's isolated from the rest of the people. She has to go outside the camp because when you have leprosy, guess what? You're out of the camp. You are now unclean. Verse 14 verse 14 tells us that the Lord said to Moses if, I, if her father had but fit in her face would she not bear her shame for seven days let her be shut up for seven days outside the camp and afterward she may be received again and so Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days I, I kind it's interesting the wording there she was shut up she was talking about Moses now she's shut up <laughs> and she's stuck outside the camp and gang, think about this. In the way envy affects us, it isolates us. It ruins relationships. It pulls us back. This is why I believe Paul tells young Pastor Titus to remind his church in Titus 3 verse 2 to malign no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy. And what does that do, Paul? He says it makes us hateful, hating one another. Envy affects God personally, it affects us internally, but it doesn't stop there. It spreads out, and envy ultimately affects the family corporately, the whole family all of the people of God get impacted look again at verse 15 so Miriam was shut up outside the camp for seven days and the people did not move on until Miriam was received again however afterward the people moved out from Hazaroth and camped in the wilderness of Paran. they couldn't go anywhere because of her sin because of her envy yes it was a family problem between Miriam Aaron and Moses but it affected all of Israel they were stuck until she got it right and that happens in churches doesn't it Until the envy is dealt with, until the frustration and then the backbiting is dealt with, the church goes nowhere. It sits right where it is. And it cannot move forward. Do you want to be the cause of that? Can you imagine Miriam sitting outside of the camp for all those seven days, realizing that she's holding up the entire show because of her behavior, because of her heart? The whole congregation stuck for a week gang, in families as well as in church fellowships and please hear me on this nobody functions in a vacuum what do you mean by that? I mean that your sin will affect other people and you might think it's just you you might think it's just your little family issue or just your problem with your friends gang, it affects everybody as it begins to slip out and get out people end up angry with other people who never had any problem before just because you have to be angry with that person People begin to look at other individuals and go, Man, yeah, I I, I see what you're saying. He really is a jerk. And they have no reason to call the person a jerk at all. And so the whole family is affected corporately. So what do we do with this? It's not all negative. There's some good stuff here. Gang, envy is serious sin It's not something we can just pass off as irritating Between ourselves and someone else Because where Christ is concerned And think about this We're going to be together a long time And if we can't get along here in this silly little barn How do you expect to get along in eternity Where we're going to see each other every single day Forever Some of you have been married 50, 60 years You think that's a long time? Hopefully you don't. If you're married fifty to sixty years, you're probably having a great time. But we are going to be with each other, whether we're together in this fellowship or another church or wherever. You know, people bounce around church to church, and that's a big whatever. Okay, we're going to be family. We're going to have to deal with each other, and I really think the Lord would prefer we deal with each other now, so that when glory happens, it's all good. It's all good. So what do I do? Well, first you've got to determine if you are envious. If you've got a problem with envy, and there's a surefire way to know this, Romans 12.15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. And if you can't do that, chances are good you're envious of someone. Rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Two things to jot down, and we're done this morning. Number one, in dealing with envy, appropriate joy and sorrow. Appropriate joy and sorrow Moses knew how to rejoice With those who rejoiced We saw this Wednesday night Back in Numbers chapter 11 All of the elders of Israel Are called together Seventy men God says Call them together Moses Because I want them to work with you To support you To help you And I'm going to take of my Holy Spirit That's on you Moses And I'm going to put my spirit On all seventy of these guys It's going to be great And so Moses is like Yeah So he gathers the men All sixty-eight of them gather there At the tabernacle And God pours His Spirit out on these 68 men and on Moses. And two men didn't show up. I don't know if they didn't get the memo or what the problem was, but they weren't there. Eldad and Medad. They're back in the camp. You know, i probably just working on the tent or something. Popping up the poles. And all of a sudden, as God's Holy Spirit falls on these 68, the other two guys get the Spirit as well. Boom! They start prophesying in the middle of the camp. Well, some little guy, we don't know who he is in Scripture, goes running over to Moses as fast as he can. Comes up to Moses and Joshua and goes, there are two guys who are prophesying in the camp. They're not with the rest of the group. They're not with us. They're over there. And Joshua says, oh, Moses, you've got to shut this down. That's not right. People are utilizing the gift of the Holy Spirit, and they're not part of our fellowship. Good things are going on somewhere else. Stop it, Moses. And what does Moses do? He goes, hey, that's great. That's fantastic. I would that everybody be able to prophesy. That was Moses' heart. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Hey, if Jesus is doing a good thing down the road at, at church, you know, XYZ, praise the Lord. Good stuff is going on. Rejoice with those who rejoice. i got to share this. I share this on Wednesday night, but it just, it just blows my mind. I was told recently, and I'm going to keep this person anonymous, for this person's sake and they'll appreciate me for it later but I was heard recently that someone actually talked about a person from one church helping another church out called that a conflict of interest (laughs) a conflict of interest? I thought we were all interested in the same kingdom dude (laughs) now you you serve at your church we'll serve at ours and you know neither the twain shall meet I mean come on a conflict of interest? There is no conflict of interest, gang, where kingdom work is being accomplished. Amen. And I don't care where it is. Amen. Conflict of interest. <laughs> Moses obviously wasn't jealous. He wasn't envious. Moses wasn't, He wasn't looking at him. And even at these other 68 guys who were right there, he wasn't going, man, it used to be just me. <laughs> now it's everybody. here's just getting all over the place. <laughs> Oh, no, Moses, rejoice. This is what you do when you are not envious. You appropriate joy. This is a good thing. But Moses also knew how to appropriate gang sorrow. I skipped this verse. Look at verse 13. It says, Moses cried out to the Lord, saying, Oh, God, heal her, I pray. He didn't just say to the Lord, Heal her. He cried out. He poured out his heart. What's the Hebrew word for cried there? Cried. He cried out to the Lord. This is the woman who was just ripping him up one side and down the other. This is the woman who was nasty going after him. And if it were me, I would have said, Yeah, Lord, I want you to heal her, but I want her to feel it first. (laughs) Let her deal with it. Let her spin in it just a bit. I know you're going to heal her eventually. But let's let her learn a lesson here. See, that's my heart. You're thinking, great, where are we going next Sunday, (laughs) hon? But Moses is so different, so humble, such a man of God. He weeps for her. He cries for her. Moses understands how to appropriate joy and sorrow. Joy for those who rejoice. Sorrow for those who are in sorrow. And as Paul said, 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you're a Christ body. And you're individually members of it. I don't know if you realize that. But Paul would say, if there's one person in this family this morning who's hurting, we all hurt. And if there's someone who's just having a great day, man, we are all having a great day. That's what family does. That is the opposite of envy one last key for wiping out envy in our lives turn over to the book of Psalms quickly we're almost done Psalm 73 to deal with envy we appropriate joy and sorrow placing them where they should be where they need to be but we also gain we also if you really want to wipe out envy in your life and this is something I believe is a lifelong pursuit for all of us Abdicate all other things for the Lord. Abdicate everything for the Lord. May the one thing that matters to you be the Lord. This psalm is amazing to me because it's so candid. Asaph is the psalmist writing here. And he really presents his heart well. In fact, he presents my heart oftentimes well. Listen to this. He says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But um, as for me... My feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. For I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. There are no pains in their death. Their body is fat. They're not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eye bulges from fatness. The imaginations of their heart run riot. They mock and wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They set their mouth against the heavens. And the tongue parades. Their tongue parades throughout the earth. Their tongue parades. Academy Awards. Throughout the earth. It's just amazing. Now look at these guys. They're getting all their awards and their festivities. And they're just, you know, we call them stars because they're so amazing. Oh, you know. And the psalmist is saying it's not fair. It makes me mad. Wicked people getting good stuff. It's not right. Rick, you bagged on the Academy Awards two weeks in a row. Yes, I did. (laughs) Because I want to be candid like Asaph. Read on. Go down to verse uh, 21. Verse 21, he says When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. And nevertheless, and this is amazing. I'm continually with you. You've taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel you will guide me and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you and besides you? I desire nothing on earth. Abdicate all other things to the Lord. I desire, he says, nothing on earth. Oh, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is my strength. The strength of my heart and my portion forever. You can have your award ceremonies. You can have all your glory and all the good things that seem to happen to people in this world who are wicked, who don't care a lick about God. You can have all that. But gang, guess what I have? I have the Lord. I have the Lord. As for me, he says, verse 28, the nearness of God is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of your works. I have the Lord. Why would I envy anything why would I envy anyone, anything they have? I've got the Lord. Amen. Man, that is good news. Which is why Psalm twenty-three, verse one, tells us, "The Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want." I shall not envy, because God's my shepherd. I have no need of envying any other thing. I don't need anything else. <laughs> I've got the Lord. Miriam, green is envy, becomes. White as leprous snow. It's interesting, gang. The phrase "white as snow" appears just four times in the Bible. Four times. Two times, Numbers chapter twelve, verse ten, and Second Kings five twenty-seven both speak of leprosy. A third time described Jesus in his glorified state when he was on the mountain of transfiguration, Matthew twenty-eight, verse three, and one time. One time to describe God's desire for all His children, and our hope this morning that we might move from that place of being green as envy and become white as snow. Isaiah 1:18. Come now, let's reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Dan, why don't you come on back up here? Though your sins are as scarlet Though your green is envy May you be white as snow I want to give you a moment We're going to sing a song together And while we sing I want you to process this I want to encourage you To think through Where you're at right now And ask yourself the hard question Is there anybody In this family In your family In another church family in your nuclear family or your extended family, is there anybody in your life right now that you feel bitterness toward, that you feel envy for, that you've been isolating yourself from all that we've talked about this morning? I want to encourage you as we sing to find that person in your mind and then give them over to the Lord. To seek His forgiveness. And ask him what he wants you to do with it.